What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to AngularMaster Podcast. Today we've got a special guest from San Francisco, USA, Devrel Engineer at Google, Angular team, ladies and gentlemen, Emma Twarski. Hi, Emma. How are you today? I'm great. How about you? Yeah, thank you. For those who maybe don't know you yet, uh, please uh, tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Emma Tversky, or Tversky, uh, depending on what part of the world you are in. And I am a developer relations engineer on the Angular team at Google which basically means that it's my job to get to interact with all of the amazing community and help make Angular better for y'all. You are passionate about good user experience and design. Please tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this is my like go-to vague conference speaker description because I never know what to put in those. Um, but it really at its core... It's the same reason I'm working on Angular is I think that I want the web to be a good place. Uh, like I, when I go to a website, I want to have a good experience and I want other people to have a good experience. Um, and I want everyone, depending on, you know, what language you're reading that website in or if you are a person who has uh, restrictions or disabilities, just making sure that the web is an equitable and open and like positive experience for people. Now let's go back a few years. When did you start your adventure in programming? In programming, uh, I was a theoretical math major in college. Um, so I was doing like a thesis on centrivoidal Roni tessellation patterns. Basically like math that is math for the sake of math and has no usable There's no reason you should know the words I just said, right? Um, and I really liked the side of problem solving and math that actually did have applications. Uh, so I started taking computer science classes because I was like, wow, this is a way to like use math and problem solving and algorithms to actually like do something good. Um, which I think, again, aligns to this idea of like wanting to actually make something good for people. Did you have a chance to work with other frameworks or did you start right away with Angular? Yeah, so I have worked with most of them. Professionally, uh, only React and Angular. Um, but I, out of college, was in a software development role at a large bank that used all of the frameworks possible, depending on the team. They were really good about letting developers pick uh, what you wanted to use as tooling. So I was on a team that had like maybe three different uh, front-end applications all in different frameworks. Um, so essentially like an early, early micro front-end uh, experience. And yeah, I, I got to play around with multiple frameworks and uh, implement different features across frameworks. So I think that was a really good starting place of like understanding the differences and where some frameworks excel over others. 
if any of our listeners are just beginning their adventure with Angla, where should they start? I really like how I started. So I can share that journey and yeah. that's not for everyone and that's totally fine. Um, I grew up with this idea of like, I was really lucky to have a lot of classes in like multiple learning senses. So some people are better auditorial listeners. So maybe you're listening to this podcast and like listening to tech videos is the best way you learn. For me, I really like visual learning. Um, so I really like like YouTube videos uh, and tutorials and code labs that are visual where I can see the change, which is also why I'm a front end developer, right? I really like being able to change the code, then run the application and like see the change. And anytime someone on like the tooling team starts to explain to me like the inner workings of like ng compilation, I'm like very confused until you draw me a graph of it. Um, so getting started with Angular, I really enjoyed taking Deborah Carada's uh, Pluralsight course. That was what I did when I was first learning. And again, I wasn't working on the Angular team at all. Um, every framework has some version of that, but uh, that was a really great resource. And they run like free months every once in a while. So just sneak in during one of those. Um, but yeah, other th things for new developers, uh, our resources on our docs are always a good place to start. Um, or even just, I've seen a lot of people getting started recently on tech Twitter, just like tweeting like, Hey, at angular, how should I get started? And like, you will get a ton of people in the community replying with their resources. So exactly. there's something out there for you. Yeah, exactly. What tools are worth getting to know? at the beginning to better work with the framework itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one, use the CLI. Uh, I don't know if that even counts as a tool because it's so built in at this point, but I think we were just talking about this with the team and Angular really introduced the idea of a first party CLI in a lot of ways. Um, the CLI is incredibly comprehensive uh, it's come such a long way and I think we have more things planned for it, but I would highly recommend making sure you're using the CLI to, to learn how to develop with Angular. And then, uh, I feel like this is biased and I'm just promoting stuff I've worked on, but also check out Angular dev tools. Um, there's a link on our docs. It's like angular.io backslash guides backslash dev tools, or maybe take out the guides. Um, and that is just a place to debug your Angular applications. You know, debugging on the web has come so far since I started as web developer and will continue to probably be the place that I think there's the most rapid advancement. Um, but being able to like pick apart your Angular application in the browser and see what's happening, uh, really makes it easier, especially if you're a visual learner, to understand what's happening. Um, there's some other cool stuff happening in DevTools. I know we're about to start talking about, like, the future of Angular. Um, definitely check out the DevTools and definitely keep your DevTools extension up to date, set on, like, auto-updates, because we have some really cool stuff coming out of, like, visual routing trees and, like, better ways to map um, the routing and the injector like maps of your applications that I'm really excited about. Is Angular and Ionic a good choice for mobile app these days? 
I'm asking because I, I saw your presentation on the Ionic Conf, and uh, yeah, that's that's why. I know. Yeah, I feel like these are all biased. Like I can't. Like definitely don't listen to me with unbiased answers of this. I literally just gave a talk at Ionic Conf that was like Angular Hearts Ionic. So like clearly I have to say yes. Um, but I don't, I'm not paid to say yes, right? Like I, I think genuinely Angular, depending on the use case, Angular can be a really good fit. So I think Angular is a really good fit for enterprise applications, specifically where your, like your web app is probably your first party tool and you want to deliver it in a mobile experience. I would say like Angular plus Ionic, if you were looking at like, if if we, what your product is is a tool that is primarily for Android developers or like Android users, and you're only ever going to use it on an Android phone. Like I used to be an Android developer. I really love Kotlin multi-platform. I think that um, Jetpack Compose is like fantastic. Like go use that. But if you have a web app and you want to deliver it on a mobile experience, Angular plus Ionic works so well. Um, and the market share is, like, really shocking. I don't have the number. It's something like 60. It's, it's like, a majority of uh, the Apple, like, Play Store, your Google Play Store and Apple Store, like, Apple App Store, are actually Ionic applications with Angular. Like, there is a large market share that is, like, third only to native Kotlin apps and native like iOS apps. So you are not alone in doing that. It is larger than you think. And I think it works really well for that use case. The main question of this podcast is how do you see the future of Angular? So what we can expect in coming months? Yeah. Um, subtle plug, but not really. Angular.io backslash guide backslash roadmap. Um, I think we pushed that a lot at first and haven't, uh, recently, but we update that every like half year, um, or quarter. And that is like a direct path, like a, a direct peek into our roadmap, um, or it is our roadmap. It's a direct peek into our prioritization. Angular behind the scenes, like doesn't have a JIRA board. There's nothing like secret we're hiding. We literally just have a list of things we're working on. Um, and that roadmap is like a cut and paste of exactly what we're working on. So I can go through some of the roadmap things that are on the list right now. A lot of it is enhancements and things we recently released, right? So um, this year has been a really big year for some pretty large RFCs or requests for comments, which if you're not familiar, if you go to the Angular GitHub, um, Angular backslash Angular on GitHub, uh, we have a discussion tab where we post RFCs, which are requests for comments, which is literally our team being like, here is our design. Like, here is everything we plan to do. Like, go break it or tell us if you like this or tell us if you hate it. Um, and we legitimately look at every single comment and, like, the designs change because of people's feedback. So it's really impactful. Like, if you want to have an impact on Angular uh, in the open source. A lot of people think that you have to open PRs on our GitHub. Like there are so many just as impactful, if not more impactful ways. I think like some of the comments out of RFCs 
have like pivotally changed the direction of Angular. So definitely check out our GitHub discussions. We don't have any open RFCs right now, but two RFCs that we closed recently were standalone components, uh, the big the biggest one we're in Angular right now. Yeah. And then uh, typed forms. So strongly typed reactive forms are in version 14. There's probably not, not a lot coming there, but the other one uh, standalone components were released in a developer preview. So that's pretty much a direct sneak peek into the fact that like we have more work to do there. So developer preview means we're not committing to like full semver. Uh, which is like this idea that we release something in Angular and we won't deprecate it. And if we do deprecate it, we give you two versions and we hold ourselves to a really strict like backwards compatible model um, because Angular is at its core an enterprise application and we want to remain stable for enterprises. And so we're not going to like secretly change an API without telling you. Um, And if we do, we'll provide like as many migrations as possible. So standalone components doesn't get held to any of that because it's developer preview. But the idea of developer preview is like, we just want people to use it. We want people to give us feedback. We want um, to like give some space to like work out some of the APIs around it. So it's like fully there in version 14, but there's a ton of work to do. Uh, 14.1, which we haven't really talked about yet because it just came out, um, continues to move a lot of those APIs forward. So like, everything in common module is now marked as standalone. So you can like pick out an individual pipe um, or directive or like, you know, standalone like works, but if you're going to write a standalone app, which is for those listening who maybe don't know what standalone is, it's this idea of writing angular components without uh, a a module or making the whole pattern of modules optional. Um, And they work interchangeably, so you can introduce one standalone component or one standalone directive or pipe uh, into an app that already uses modules and vice versa. You're listening, Angular Master Podcast. Listen, code, repeat. Everything you need to know to become an Angular super developer. Uh, Yeah, so this idea of standalone components really only works if we fully support it. Um, and we wanted to give ourselves time to let the developer community play with it in version 14, but also really like present a stable version in an upcoming version. And so version 14.1 introduces like, you know, what Angular application doesn't use ng4 or ngif or some version of something like that. And all of those different directives and pipes and components and stuff rely on this thing called a common module which is basically like this massive package that has everything core to Angular in it, like all the decorators, all the things that you probably use without knowing it. Um, And so common module is now fully standalone, so everything within it can just be used individually. Um, A lot of people think there's like tree shaking there. There really isn't because it was already tree shakeable, but just things like that. So like small things that make standalone fully stable um so there'll be new apis there'll be new stuff like that basically like all of the like less fun things about making standalone components or optional modules fully supported so that version 15 hopefully um or at least a version upcoming is a fully stable standalone option 
Um, and then realistically from there, where I see the community going based on adoption is like moving to a fully standalone module and making in, instead of it being modules are optional, like modules are probably like not ever deprecated, but like less used, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the direction of standalone components is like actually make it stable, make optional modules, like fully actually optional, like provide, uh, all of the schematics around it. The other really cool thing from like a tooling CLI standpoint is like we released standalone components with very few schematics. So you can create a new standalone component to an app, but you can't create a standalone app. So like you can't ng new, like my new app and then like dash dash standalone. Um, I think like that is like something that will have to exist before it's stable. Um, so that's in the works, just like the things that make it so that you have to write less code and like write correct standalone components. Does that make sense? Um, let's see what else. Uh, we have a few really big things happening with collaboration with other teams. Um, a really big one is the Aurora team, which you probably know as the team that did core web vitals at Google. Um, which is over on the Chrome team. Uh, we are working with them to create an image directive that has really significant image performance enhancements and improvements. So this would be like a component that you could use or a directive you could put on images in your application so that if you are rendering a ton of images on your screen, um, you're seeing improved performance and improved Core Web Vitals out of those images. Um, so that's a really cool collaboration Again, like Angular exists at Google and so does Core Web Vitals. So making sure that Angular provides like the best possible Core Web Vitals score is really important to us. Um, I think that will happen in the second half of this year, hopefully. Uh, and then there's like some big hand wavy ones, right? So there's like micro front ends. We're like really looking and investigating. We're investigating like ES build. You may have saw version 14 has experimental support for ES build, like the team is really excited to like further prototype and look at that. Uh, we're looking at hydration. We're looking at, you know, all of these sort of like hand wavy, exciting things that we are mostly just researching. Um, a really big one that some Angular developers will be excited about is like making zones optional or like removing zones, like a zoneless Angular. Um, yeah, just like a bunch of really hand-wavy, cool potential stuff. Yeah, I think that for the most part, the future of Angular is like we just had the pleasure of bringing on a bunch of new people to the team, and they're not new faces. They're just Angular longtime contributors who are really excited about making an impact in Angular. And with that, um, the Angular team just came together for a like in-person summit and a lot of the presentations about what the future of Angular was is, like, actually getting to tackle some of these, like, really big problems and figure out the right solution for them. Again, like, I sort of understand zones, but, like, very few people on the Angular team, like, fully understand them. I think everyone is probably at my level of understanding, which is, like, ooh, zones are really complicated and, like, they exist for a reason and it's going to be really hard to tackle that problem. So it's exciting to have people like thinking about these things. 
but you're not going to see like zoneless angular in 2022 probably don't hold me to that but like you can hold me to that um let's see the other thing i'm really excited about is again i said i'm really into ui ux um, and user experience so we've had these things called mdc components for a really long time mdc is like the newest version of uh, the material components that Angular implements. Um, so if you didn't know, behind the scenes, Angular Material implements the 2016 spec, which, just to date myself a little bit, like, I wasn't even a developer in 2016. So they're really old, um, and they're out of date, and Material has updated several times since then, but on the web, Material hasn't really updated their specs in a little bit. Um, and so MDC Web will be, if you just use Angular Material, uh, they will start using the MDC specs, which bring a ton of enhanced improvements, especially the accessibility of the components is like night and day. Um, so there's a lot of like, built-in things happening that like, I could talk about the future of Angular, but essentially it's just like built-in enhancements, right? Like behind the scenes, as we migrate to like ES Build, you will see improvements and it'll be sort of like magical and you can dig into what they are, and we're not hiding them, but, like, the idea is that it's things that we improve natively for you without, like, forcing you to go do a bunch of stuff. Should Angular be more accessible? Uh, I mean, <laughs> accessible is a really tricky word, because that could mean anything, right? That's, like, Angular should be accessible to write. Like, it should be friendly for new developers. That means removing modules, like removing some of the burden of the mental model of figuring it out. Um, Angular being accessible means providing accessible components. So like our component library is more accessible than ever, just built in. Um, you know, accessibility can mean a lot of different things, whether it's for the user as the Angular developer or the user as like the end user. At its core, I think the theme of everything coming to Angular is this idea of simplification. So simplifying, like removing optional or removing modules, like simplifying the mental model, simplifying what you need to do, um, like simplifying the debugging process by providing built-in debugging APIs, simplifying the CLI with uh, autocomplete. So like, now, if you're typing in the CLI and you have a typo, like, we can fix that. Um, just simplifying the general experience around Angular so that it's easy for new developers. It's easy for enterprises to onboard people to those teams. Um, it's just, like, easy to explore and create apps with Angular is really the theme we're going for. This year, you will be at our NG Poland conference. What we can expect during your presentation? You know, that's a really good question that I should have checked with Minko before talking with this. So Minko, my manager, and I will be both at NG Poland, or that's the plan. Um, and we're really lucky. I will be, uh, we will all be with the Angular team right before that. So hopefully we have some like latest updates from like two days prior when we are the team doing some prioritization. But otherwise, by then, uh, we will be just about to release version 15, or version 15 comes out, let me see, I can give you the date. So version yep. 15 comes out like one week after NG Poland, I think, Okay. or two weeks after, 
So you can expect the latest and greatest of like what is right about to hit. Um, and I think that is what we are most excited about sharing. I have two more questions, but not technical. Uh, the first question is uh, the hardest one. Uh, what kind of person is Emma? How do you see yourself? Oh, that's a really hard question. I mean, hopefully as a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that in general, uh, my speaker bio speaks to who I am, but I just want to help people. Um, and hopefully that's what I'm doing with Angular. And uh, the second question is uh, your favorite technical and non-technical book. Okay. Uh, I read these questions right before and I should have um, written down my answers. My favorite technical book, uh, I will say my manager, Minko, just sent me his book, um, which I don't have the, I don't have it next to me right now. But... Um, Shout out to, I think it's like Modern Angular Development or something like that by Minko Gechev. Okay. Uh, I have to say that's my favorite technical book. Um, he's not paying me to promote it. But uh, yes, it was the most recently acquired. And then my favorite non-technical book, um, I just finished rereading My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which was quite good uh, by my favorite author, Otesha Mogafesh. Um, but yeah, anything like fiction and sort of escapism is my favorite non-technical book. Emma, thank you so much for joining today's episode of Angular Master Podcast. See you in Poland in three months. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll see everyone there. Finally, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a like and a comment to help us continue to grow.